And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, June 23rd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Eno's laughing already. We're four already? seconds into the podcast. Yeah. I, you gotta check out YouTube. <laughs> we're trying to get more people to subscribe to the YouTube channel and hit the like button on our videos. We got Officer DJ Booty over here. And <laughs> love to buy some new boots, get some new boot goofing in uh, later today. That's, that's what's on my to-do list. But on this episode, our to-do list includes the uh, kind of sister episode of the pod earlier in the week. We were talking about buy high hitters earlier in the week. Today, we're going to talk about some buy high pitchers, get some questions in the mailbag about a few struggling players. We've got uh, the Giants adding a couple of bats that are kind of these positionless guys that could be pretty interesting with the right sorts of adjustments. We'll talk about whether or not it actually happens. We've got a Spencer Strider question, which, as you might see on YouTube, kind of fits the the vibe that I'm projecting over here. <laughs> and uh, actually, if you're wondering, why is he wearing sunglasses? Spencer Strider and you. <laughs> yeah, why is he wearing sunglasses? Well, it's because with the sunglasses, I don't look like a Scooby-Doo villain. Without the sunglasses, I look like a Scooby-Doo villain. That's not a compliment to myself. So I think it looks a little better with the sunglasses going. But nevertheless, here we go. We are off and running. We were talking about buy high pitchers. We talked about Shane McClanahan a couple of weeks ago as someone who had really made the leap and had kind of put himself in the conversation, maybe to be a first round pick if you were doing a midseason draft or if you were starting to think about early, very early 2023 draft boards and what those might look like. So I don't think we need to go into any extra detail with McClanahan here. Well, I should I should throw a, a caveat out there, man. Like, a, or a mea culpa. I had him at eleven in my ranks. Uh, I think partially that's because the bat had him at sixteenth, um, and I felt like you know I've had Shane McClanahan as a borderline top ten guy all year. This is where I had him. I'm ahead of the bat. Everything is good. Uh, part of that is because he's projected for fewer innings going forward. Um, you know, someone asked me, would I trade, you know, I have Rodon ahead of him. Would I trade McClanahan for Rodon? And I, uh, I said I would at the time. And I, you know, I think it's pretty close there, uh, even though Rodon is seven and McClanahan's 11 on my ranks because, you know, there's a possibility that Rodon throws more innings, but, uh, you know, he's projected for 118 more innings, Rodon and McClanahan 97, but Rodon has that injury history. So do we really believe that? I think sort of with some internal soul searching, uh, I do believe that McClanahan is a top five pitcher. So uh, I don't think it's like the worst mistake I've ever made putting him 11 when maybe he should have been five or four. Uh, But I do think it's uh, worth pointing out that he probably will have fewer innings than anybody not named Jacob deGrom uh, that's in that top 10 range. Yeah, I think we've seen that in recent years where there's oftentimes one pitcher with a considerably lighter workload than the other 
top five pitchers on earned value because their strikeout rate is exceptionally high and their ratios are phenomenal over 160 or 170 DeGrom innings. DeGrom and Kershaw have done these things. Before. Right. I think that's more in line with what you're thinking in terms of the gap between other ace workloads and McClanahan's 2022 workload. But he belongs there. If you're trading one of your best bats or even your best hitter to get Shane McClanahan because you have a roster that has too much hitting and not enough pitching, I'm not going to push back on that. I think it's actually a smart move. Also, philosophically, we're starting to see a home run on contact go up. Um, and so I believe that this might be uh, an interesting time to do something like that uh, because you will get power from other sources. Pitching will become more scarce um, and uh, it might be good timing to go get an ace like that. It might might make sense. Yeah, um, because we are probably going to see ERAs go up a little bit. Warmer weather, more runs scored, ball interactions. We're not going to get into the ball today, are we? We're going to save that for a, like a future Wednesday, maybe. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna save you from yourself on this one. I'm not gonna push it. Written enough about muddy balls, <laughs> enough for a entire lifetime. Uh, I would say Joe. <laughs> it's in the Athletic today. If you'd like to look, <laughs> theathletic.com/slash rates and barrels one dollar a month for the first six <laughs> months. Go. Read there about the muddy go. balls. There you go muddy balls, muddy balls. It's hot, hot, hot. Joe Musgrove, I think, is <laughs> another guy we talk a lot about on this show who has reached another level. Right? I think you were as high on Musgrove as. Anybody I saw rankings wise going into this season, and he might be even another step above where he started, which is everything falling into place, I guess, right? More time on a great team, continuing to hold some of the skills that we saw from last year. So I guess. And I did the same thing with him, dude. Is he in the top 10 though now? Well, I did the same stupid thing where he was ahead of the bat. He looked right according to Pitching Plus. He was where I had him before, and I was like, I still like him, you know, and people were like, he's too low. I had him 17. Why do I have him 17? I, you know, I like him. I like him better than Montas, who's ahead of him. But the guys ahead of him, I really like. Like, if you say he's in the top 10, you better tell me some people you don't have in the top 10. You know what I mean? Because I have the guys ahead of him are Dylan Cease. Love him. Sandy Alcantara. Love him. Scherzer, McClanahan, Otani, Wheeler. Like, who are you taking out to put Musgrove in? I, it's not necessarily that I think Musgrove is bad. I just think that, you know, once things start shaking down, yeah, there's he's a he's an ace-ish guy. He's a top 15-ish guy. But top 10, he's got to push somebody real out. You know, who's the who? what are those names that I just rapid-fired at you, you pushing out for Joe Musgrove? Don't know if there's any, to be honest. I, I think you've got that settled in right. Just because he's third in earn value today doesn't mean he's going to be third in end value at the end of the season, right? He might finish... 8th or 12th or something in that range and it wouldn't be all that surprising because he's not going to have but it also means you can buy high if you want like I like I do believe in it I think the the challenging thing with Musgrove though is that he's done this now for more than this season so I think you're paying pretty close to full freight I think everyone is caught up on Musgrove oh and the whole idea with buying high is that you've got this inkling of doubt on the other side yes and that maybe he's over his skis and I'm I'm selling high and like I'm making some money off of this. Right, which brings me to Tony Gonsolin. I think Tony Gonsolin is one where most of us look at him and say, okay, Tony Gonsolin was interesting prior to this season and none of us expected him to be top five in earn value among pitchers through the first no. three months of the season. So I think there's that gap there. It's like, okay, he's not this good. How good is he? And then people might 
underestimate how good he actually is because they think he's further out over his skis than he actually is, I guess is the way to continue the metaphor. So I know Gonsolin's been extra tricky because of the shoulder injury that he had. Job security was an issue at times. That's not a problem anymore. Completely departing for him at times. Yeah. But how does he look right now with everything results wise being this good? I think I think the the thing that's been most surprising to me, and the thing that is the hardest to predict, and the thing that uh, is uh, even the pitching plus model is not great in, in 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 small samples, is his command has returned. I mean, he's uh, he's been over a hundred location plus in uh, seven out of his last nine starts. So, you know, that's not the Gonsolin that we saw in that in those playoffs where like he, he lost he was out of the rotation because he couldn't find the plate. You know, so. Um, uh, that that command coming back is great. That makes him an above average pitcher. Um, we're doing all the validation for the model because there's you know for a rollout soon, and um, around fifty to sixty innings pitched, uh, strikeouts minus walks becomes a little bit more powerful than pitching plus. That's right where we are, you know. So pitching plus is super valuable still because you're talking about. What do I do in the first 10 starts? What are, how do I evaluate a pitcher in the first 8 to 10 starts? You'd still rather use pitching plus. But right around now, K minus BB is coming online. And the reason I mention that is that Gonsolin doesn't look that great there either. But he looks good. So it's kind of that line that you're trying to draw of is he how far out in front of his keys is he? You know what I mean? Uh, is, is hard to draw. So I've got minimum innings pitched 60. Uh, and I'm on the advanced leaderboard for, for fan graphs doing strikeouts minus walks. And, uh, he's 48th, I believe, or 30, 38th. So what is it? He's right there with Alex Wood, Sandy Alcantara, who's not a, a strikeout genius. And, uh, it's kind of hard to, you wouldn't compare Gonsolin to Sandy Alcantara. They're just different guys. But, um, here, here's a righty he's right next to John Gray. So Tony Gonsolin has the has very similar peripherals to John Gray. John Gray has a 418 ERA. Tony Gonsolin has a 158 ERA. And in fact, they, their pitching plus is pretty similar too. So do you do you, I mean is he is he much better than John Gray? Maybe not. Here's the the truth that would be amazing is if Tony Gonsolin's more like a true talent 325. 340 ERA guy and Gray is also that and people don't think Gonsolin's quite that good right because John Gray might be a, a simple buy low right now based on what you're saying I mean yeah I think yeah he's been throwing the curveball more there's a piece I got a piece coming out tomorrow he's been throwing the curveball more and and it's it's improving and it's good I I, I think John Gray's fine but John Gray is the kind of guy that I would have as like a top 50 pitcher I wouldn't start him in every single start but I wouldn't drop him for a streamer yeah, I think with Tony Gonsolin, the buy high is like going to require a little more precision. I think the gray comp is actually you know, pretty fair. I think with Gonsolin, fastball velocity is a little lighter than you'd like it to be. So that's one knock against them. Arsenal's deep. He's fixed some of the, the command issues. The control looks pretty solid across the board. I think if you treated Gonsolin like a top 40 starting pitcher the rest of the way, that would be appropriate. And again, he's been a top five guy based on results so far. But when you trade for Tony Gonsolin, do you think you're able to get him for less than it takes to get a top 40 starting pitcher? Or maybe, I mean, is that even possible at all? It really depends. Part of this depends on who drafted the player, if they believed he was a sleeper, if they've lost other players. Obviously, they're 
tons of other variables that come into play here. But I think figuring out where Gonsolin truly belongs and then where where Gray would be on that same list. I think John Gray probably is a top 60 starting pitcher the rest of the way. And we often say that once you get past that top 25, top 30, that next chunk from 30 on down to about 75 is wide open. There's a lot of room for players to move within that group. So I don't think Gonsolin is elite. I don't think many people out there think he is. I think he is better than we expected. But I think placing him, it might be hard to get him via trade at a level that you're comfortable with because he's just been so good in the results so far. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just also, I wonder what the role of schedule is. If you are going to buy high, I would try to game out his schedule. Uh, you know, he's had some good offenses, uh, but there's a fair amount of Arizona uh, in there. In fact, he was uh, lucky enough uh, to get Arizona three times <laughs> in his last 10 starts. Um, and, uh, you know, I wonder, I wonder what that looks like. Of course, he's gone into Cincinnati and done well. Uh, he's handled the Mets. So he's handled some good offenses. But, um, uh, you know, I would, I would want to know what the schedule looks like going forward. Let's take a look at Alec Manoa. I think there's a little more of a McClanahan-y vibe in terms of being a young guy that misses some bats and it could be very good for a long time. He's doing it against tough competition in the AL East. So how much of a bump has Manoa received since you were ranking players at the end of draft season? Well, one of the things that has actually improved for him is his stuff. So I know that his strikeout rate is down. That's a little bit weird for me. Um, I, I think it's just, uh, I don't know what it is. I, I would uh, assume that I would assume that his strikeout rate will go up going forward. And so it's one of those weird things where like, uh, his peripherals are, are okay. Uh, you know, back to that strikeout minus walk, uh, leaderboard. Um, let me see where Manoa is. He's 25th. So that's pretty good. Uh, he's right there with Charlie Morton. Um, as a comp, and in fact, they both have great that great breaking ball uh, and good command. So yeah, I, I you know he's comfortably a top twenty pitcher. I think he's probably a top fifteen pitcher, um, and I and I think he in fact can be better than these peripherals going forward because I do think he can strike more batters out. It's kind of interesting the the pitch mix looks almost identical to last year. In terms of the fastball slider changeup, changeup just under 10% of the time, slider just under 30% of the time, a lot of fastballs, not a big jump in terms of velocity, but is it movement? Is it just a little bit of, of refinement in, in those areas that's that's enabled him to be more productive? And the other surface thing that clearly stands out to people is just the walk rate's lower. He's cut his walk rate down to 4.7%. And we didn't see much of Manoa in the minors because of the lost pandemic year in 2020. So I think it, it's been very difficult all along to even come up with a true baseline for what we expect his walk rate to be. I think the, uh, I think the struggle for Manoa is the four-scene fastball. Uh, he has uh, starts this year where he's had 118 stuff plus on it, and he's had starts this year where he's had an 83 stuff plus on it. So I, I think that maybe he's kind of a true sinker baller that learned how to put ride on his four seam. Um, that's what I would assume kind of from a slot and uh, just looking at these numbers. Um, and the four seam when he's going right is, uh, is 
better than his uh, than his sinker. Um, he's lucky that he has both, though. And in fact, uh, I've heard that that is a bit of a cheat code when it comes to pitchers. Mm. It's something that I want to look for going forward. If a ba- if a pitcher has b- a four seam and a two seam, they can do things with the fastballs where it truly becomes two pitches as opposed to just a fastball, quote unquote. Right. You know, um, in terms of like in terms of a hitter's approach let's say you're 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 approaching and at bat and you you know the guy has just one type of hard pitch right then you can say okay he's got the four seam when it's hard it's going to look like this it's going to jump at me i'm going to target the bottom of the top of the the top of the ball and and hit it flush and blah 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 i have my my ideas right but if they if they're like remember jay hap i do hap always was better than you thought and part of it was he had pretty good distinction between his four seam and his two seam. He had two very separate fastballs. And now what happens is if it's hard, the pit, the hitter has a second decision they have to make. It's hard. And then what? You know what I mean? Like, ooh, fastball. Oh, crap. Wrong fastball. Mm-hmm. You know? And another thing that I looked at, I, I, I talked to Suarez, Eugenio Suarez about this once. When Suarez was going really well... One thing that he was doing that was a little bit unique was he could hit the four seam and the two seam. He had he was a bit, he had the ability to hit both fastballs. But if you look at you know the types of hitters uh, that there are out there, for the most part, uh, they're good at one or the other. So hmm. you can look at uh, pitch pitch info, pitch type values uh, on fang, on Fangraphs, um, and that's just summing up their value on pitches. Um, if you look at the guys who are good at four seamers, Aaron Judge is great at four seamers. He's average at sinkers. Jeremy Pena, great at four seamers, average at sinkers. Bryce Harper is the fourth best hitter in the major leagues against four seamers. He's has a negative pitch type value on sinkers. Uh, Jorge Soler is the same. Rafael Devers has a negative pitch type value against sinkers. Now, if you do it the other way and go by sinkers, Cole Calhoun is the best hitter in Major League Baseball against uh, sinkers. He has a negative value against four-seamers. So one of the best guys that's great at both is Jose Ramirez, uh, Dansby Swanson, uh, Wilson Contreras, Mike Trout. You might have heard of him. Yeah, he's pretty good. Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado. So there are guys who do it. I'm not saying there's not anybody who does it. But... Uh, it's 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 much more common to see someone be better at one fastball than the other. So a pitcher who has both uh, can also switch between the scouting reports, right? Oh oh oh, I do have a good sinker. This guy's not good against a sinker, or I do have a four seamer. You know, so um, and I, and I think some of that might end up in foul balls, right? If you if you guessed hard and you got hard, but you got the wrong hard pitch. I think that that might be a foul ball. Right. You're going to get some weak contact. And I, or weak contact, yeah. Manoa's been good at limiting hard contact. He's got a good home run rate. You look at some of the, the actual batted ball numbers, his barrel rate this season, 2.7%. Last year as a rookie, 5.8%. Hard hit rate was 31.2%. This is the Fangraphs number, at least down at 25.8% now. That's really good. You know, my rankings aside, uh, you know, I had him uh, right there with Joe Musgrove. Maybe he's... You know, it's still you still have to push somebody down. I think Montas is the guy that goes down, um, and uh, I don't know. I do. Do you see a reason to push Cease down? 
No, not really. No, we just talked about him on 3-0 today. He leads the league in strikeouts over the past calendar year. That's Yeah, that's, I forgot about that nutty-ass stat already. That's how good my brain is. Uh, Otani just went out and shoved. Uh, people might want Woodruff lower. I'm not. Woodruff is my buy low. I'm, yeah, go get him if you if you want a good buy low. Go get Woodruff. Yeah, it seems like everything is okay. I think he, the Renaud syndrome that he was experiencing. That was scary when I heard that. I was like, oh my God, thoracic outlet. Oh my God, he's, he's screwed. The symptoms but are he, basically the same. That's why there's the, that little that's why I heard that, extra yeah. bit of fear that I have. But I, I, then he had a good rehab start and we didn't hear anything more about it. So hopefully it is, in fact, something that he's been able to put behind him and not part of a, a longer term issue as it pertains to Brandon Woodruff. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Just thinking a little more about what you were saying with the the imbalance for some hitters where they hit four seamers really well and don't hit two seamers, I imagine, it's just a hypothesis, I hadn't really thought much about this until you brought it up, that more hitters are dialed in against four seamers right now than two seamers just because the league as a whole hasn't favored sinkers in recent years, which probably is part of why the sinker is starting to come back around because it's effective when guys are no longer able to hit it. And and a bit of honesty, like uh, sinkers and changeups are the things that in our stuff model we are just always looking at. You know, like you know, you might like Bruce Dark Adderall. I, I I admit it's weird that he has a low stuff number. It's weird. Like I mean, you just watch him, you're like, that's nasty. So um, you know, it's obviously something we're monitoring. It's something we're thinking about. It's possible that teams have better numbers, stuff numbers on sinkers and changeups because it's possible that your arm angle and like your limb angles, your biometric sort of tracking data, uh, has a lot to do with what makes a good sinker and changeup. Um, so, and we don't have that. I don't have access to that. So anyway. Um, that's just something to think about that if you do think that someone is undervalued uh, on my rankings or by the pitching model and they do display both a four seam and a sinker that in and I'm not saying they throw two percent sinkers or something, you know, that's probably just a measurement error. But if they, they significantly throw both fastballs and just remember to consider that. Yeah, definitely uh, an interesting thing to to think about as you're looking for guys that might be able to avoid damage at a better than expected clip. We got to Logan Gilbert just a couple of weeks ago, so I don't know if we have to do a deep dive in there. I'm more in than out. I mean, I think I'm treating him kind of like a top 20, top 25 range starting pitcher right now, which isn't that far away from where I had him coming into the season. Uh, So if you can get him in that range, I, I don't see 
I don't see a collapse coming with Logan Gilbert. I think is the easiest way that I could sum up why I'd be willing to trade for him right now, even though his value is seemingly peaking. Yeah, uh, I have him 33, but uh, I had him behind the ones the the model didn't understand, which is Bieber, Giolito, and Freed. And I would move him at least ahead of Giolito. Uh, uh, Walker Bueller falls out of my top 25 uh, due to injury. Um, Luis Severino is dealing with some weird injury. So, uh, not Luis Severino, sorry, Nathan Evaldi. Um, so... Uh, there's some names that I could push out of the way and uh, get Gilbert into the top 30. But again, when you start getting into the top 25, you have to push one of those names I just mentioned out of the way for him. So if you're going to play the would you rather Logan Gilbert or Zach Gallen? Gilbert. New. Yeah. I think it's mm. Gilbert for me. Yeah. I think the 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 arm Maybe injury for Gallen is not the same as other arm injuries, right? Because it was more of a... Uh, a contact problem he got it he got it hitting yeah slight edge to gilbert all right i i like the i like gallon's wide breath like a, has a wider arsenal uh gilbert doesn't trust his changeup and his curveball's not good so he's mostly fastball slider with show me other pitches um but i, I do like him maybe gilbert has more wins opportunities than zach gallon um but i think i would have gallon and how about, how about this would you rather nestor cortez or gilbert yeah, Gilbert. I like Nestor a bit. I've finally come around. Slow to the party. Should have been listening to Nando on that one. He was on board mm-hmm. immediately. And as a fellow mustache, fellow mustache, mustache hire too. Right. I mean, I think that's uh, that goes without <laughs> saying. I, I knew we were going to talk about Nestor and Spencer Strider today, so I'm just you know leaning into the, the characters <laughs> that we're, we're talking about. We're now looking at with Nestor going back to last season, 167 innings with a sub-3 ERA, 181 strikeouts, and a whip that is right about one, even. 27% K rate during that span, walk rate in the kind of low 6% range, plenty of swinging strikes, has a little bit of a home run issue, but for his home park, I don't think it's an alarming home run rate whatsoever. Okay, like what about this isn't real at this point? Is it just the magnitude of the ratios? Is it just the the sub three ERA part that we have a hard time buying into as a, a sustainable part of this profile? Projections say it's the homers. He did have uh, some small sample issues with homers in his first three tries of the league. He's in a homer friendly park. And right now he's down to 1.1 homers per nine. Projections have him anywhere from 1.3 to 1.6. So that's uh, where they think the big change is going to come. That's where I think because the projections are a bit bearish on Nestor Cortez, I think that creates an opportunity for the buy high in this particular case. Yeah. I mean, it's a good it's a good strikeout minus walk rate. Uh, it's, a, it's a high fly ball rate. So he's definitely a fly ball guy. But the question is, can he get most of those in pop-ups and uh, can he keep it in the park? I have a related question, though, thinking about the four-seamer, two-seamer. He's four-seamer cutter. Do you think there's similar mm. – va- does, does any two combinations of fastballs, does that work the same way? Or does it have to be four-seamer, two-seamer to keep hitters as, as off balance as that combination can? Well, in his case, the cutter is 87 and the fastball is 91. I mean, I think the question we're asking is, can the hitter tell the difference? And normally the sinker fastball difference is about one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So I would assume that hitters can tell the difference between that cutter and that fast, that four seam. But um, you know what assumptions do? <laughs> yep, I think I do. Uh, I I'm coming down on the I'm going to give uh, Nestor Cortez 1.3 homers per nine going forward, uh, which basically gives him like a 3.75 ERA. That's that's where I come. So I would take Gilbert. If you're making a trade for a pitcher that we've talked about so far, and your choices, the player you're trading with has Tony Gonsolin and Nestor Cortez, and they want the same thing back for whichever one you want, who are you choosing? It was a stupid way to ask a would you rather. <laughs> Do you mean would you rather? <laughs> yeah, that, that's all I needed to say. It was like when I said eight uh, yesterday or Tuesday and you were like eight. You know what's interesting is uh, old biases that you have to kind of work hard to, 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 to re- reduce. So the two biases that my, my blink answer was Gonsolin. I'd rather have Gonsolin. But they're based on two erroneous assumptions that are no longer true one the national league doesn't have a dh you idiot i mean the national league does but national league you would think oh just take the national league guy two dodger stadium is an easier place to pitch the yankee stadium probably still true but maybe not to the same effect so i'm gonna take cortez dude okay but it's close right if you're thinking about the oh, yeah. top That's 40 starting one, yeah. pitchers the rest of the way and mm-hmm. i think i think in our minds we're always going to try and take guys who have similarly limited track records and try and mush them together. We're going to make pitchers that have less than 200 innings of being as good as they've been with kind of similar skills and say, yeah, those two guys, they kind of fit in the same tier because that certainly is how uh, my brain works. Another Dodger, Tyler Anderson. I think he's someone that's done pretty well in the model in the past if memory serves me right and had a little bit of a, a correction regression day yesterday. Yeah, he does it in in a weird way because he does it with uh, poor stuff and great command. So it's just a just one that's kind of hard to bet on year to year because in any given year the command can dissipate. More K's than we've seen in the last couple of seasons, though, as he's tried to put it all together. Twenty two point seven percent K rate. This is kind of back to what he was in Colorado when no one cared. Best walk rate of his career so far. Home run rate better than it was last year. Projections aren't buying it with Tyler Anderson at all projections are telling you to run away and if you have him you move him he's, he fits on the surface into the classic oh i gotta move this guy now he's a sell high but should you be on the other end of that phone call or other than that email and say no actually he's not as good as he's been so far but he's better than a mid fours era and a kind of mediocre whip one thing i will say is that uh there's some evidence that the last four appearances or last 400 pitches are uh slightly more predictive than full season stuff. Uh, and in for Tyler Anderson, um, his best one, two, three, four, five appearances by stuff. Plus have all come in his last seven appearances. So I think they're doing some tweaking, uh, to the arsenal and they're, you know, I think they have really good pitching coaches there and the location plus, except for his last outing has, uh, has been excellent. So, uh, <clears throat> I would peg him below Gonsolin and Cortez uh, because he's the worst stuff number. And there's just a little bit of a whiff of risk, I think. of Like, for example, if one person was going to leave the Dodgers rotation tomorrow, would it be Gonsolin or Anderson? 
I think the answer is Anderson. Right. Although Gonsolin has a history of relieving, I think it's Anderson. And then uh, uh, just uh, the wor- he has the worst stuff number of the three. Uh, and he, he also has a long demonstrated home run track record, which of course we're all kind of looking around being like, you know, what's it going to be this year? What's the home run, right? What's, you know, what, what's the true talent home run thing going to be? What's home run, what are home runs in August going to look like? I will note that I talked to Derek Cardi, um, about this issue and he's, he thinks that the uh, ball effects have been steady. It's been mostly weather. Uh, but home runs uh, on contact are up. And uh, if you look at the projections for pitchers, you will see that consistently the bat has the lowest home run per nine projection, possibly because of the other thing that Derek said, which is I'm always tracking this and always updating the model based on what I see in terms of league-wide home run per on contact trends. So maybe home runs on contact are up, the bat says this is going to be a good year for people with home run problems. It still says Tyler Anderson is going to give up 1.5 homers per nine. Less than the other ones, but that's still a lot, and have a 4-3 ERA. I will give Tyler Anderson a, a straight 4 ERA, which is behind the sort of 3.75, 3.5 uh, level of maybe Cortez and, and, and Gonsolin. So that makes him an easy pass if you see an opportunity to trade for him and it makes him someone no, you're willing to move. No, I think that he's going to... I think he costs the least out of all these guys. I don't think there's anybody who believes that they've found something big with Tyler Anderson. I think he's a perfect dynasty uh, buy because you you will give him an A-ball pitcher or something for him. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to cost nothing. Yeah, but redraft, the more shell the league, the less enticing Tyler Anderson is. Some of these we talked about earlier, they're, they're going to be really good players. Yes, he's not by far and above. He, you you could you might trade for him in a 10-team and drop him. <laughs> mm-hmm. So keep that in mind when you're, if you are trading something away, make it something that you might also drop otherwise. All right, that's fair. It is also worse stuff than Nestor Cortez. You might look at Nestor Cortez and say, wait, he's in the big velo on the fastball. How do they stack up? He's got up? lots of good shapes. It's, you know, lots of different different pitches he throws, lots of good shapes. I think the cutter that Cortez throws is better than any pitch that Anderson throws. A few more names. We'll go rapid fire on these last two. Are you interested in Martin Perez or Miles Michaelis as actual buy highs obviously no sort of ace expectation for them going forward but do you see something different about either one of these guys that would make you think they will in fact exceed the expectations going forward not on Perez that was an easy answer for me I'm I'm totally out on him last year he had a 2-7 ERA this is I'm doing this off the top of my head but 2-7 ERA in the first half and like a 7 ERA in the second half and got left off his his uh playoff roster uh, he is not doing anything different that I can tell this year. Um, I am out on Martin Press. Miles Michaelis is uh, Tyler Anderson ish. He's just a guy that has a lot of pitches and great command. So, you know, these types of pitchers are, I think, great in the season you found them. You found them. Congratulations. They're not, that doesn't make them a great bet next year in the draft you know what i mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like when you when you find a guy that has sub-average stuff and good command in season ride him you you found a guy who's on his game and and it's going well and he's locating well and everything's great but that doesn't mean that you need to bump him up in your dynasty rankings or your or your next year rankings 
So I would, if I had Miles Michaelis or Tyler Anderson, I would just probably say, "Thanks, world, I found him." I think with Michaelis, he's never really been bad. He's just been hurt. Yeah, I did buy. I bought. I I have. Uh, I have tons of shares of Michaelis. Uh, I guess I should amend what I just said. They make good like one dollar, you know, late draft pick types, because you can find out within two or three starts if their command is there that year. So, you know, I have a ton of Miles Michaelis, cheap Miles Michaelis. I have a dollar Miles Michaelis in Auto New. I have Miles Michaelis in my 20 team Dynasty League, you know, all late draft picks, dart throwing type stuff, just to see if the stuff would, the stuff has to, cre- you know, the command is there for him and the stuff has to creep up to a good enough where he can do what he's doing. So, plus the park is a nice, nice, uh, nice soft landing. Very true. Well, well. <laughs> It has been in the past. Uh, right. That's right. Might not we be anymore. <laughs> let's let's be careful. Historically right. has been. Might not be yeah, this right. year. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Post-operative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. How about some buy-high relievers? A couple names that I thought were worth bringing up. Clay Holmes, David Bednar, and Jorge Lopez. And I think they're worth bringing up because with Holmes, maybe some questions about whether or not Aroldis Chapman gets a share of the job back or gets an opportunity to win the job back. And then with Bednar and Lopez, the lingering threat this had every summer. Closers on teams that aren't going to the playoffs this year. We're worried they're going to get moved right now. You're a month away from the trade deadline. So I think you might have people in your league who are looking at Bednar and Lopez saying, I don't really want to trade saves away, but if I'm going to trade saves away. I'm going to take a chance on trading away guys who I think might not be closers anymore. So those are the three names that caught my eye. I'm curious if you're interested in going after any of those three or if there's someone else that you want to pursue. Well, Holmes uh, by Stuff Plus has the best sinker in the game. Uh, and is the best, uh, no, not best, uh, by Pitching Plus, uh, is uh, one of the best uh, relievers in the game. I think it's fourth or fifth, uh, up there with Felix Bautista, Emmanuel Classe, Paul Seawald. Uh, I know people um, question the rankings when Paul Seawald is, is up there, but just look at his results. He's been having great results, too. It's not, it's not just his model. 
not some guy with a five ERA out there. Um, so uh, the you could buy homes. I do think that the Yankees will fold Aroldis Chapman in for saves. So I believe that Holmes will get fewer save opportunities going forward. However, I do think he will get save opportunities. So you could buy him from somebody who thinks he won't get save opportunities and get five to ten more saves. What's your read? You think Aroldis Chapman has lost the job? I haven't really come down on this because I don't have Chapman or Holmes anywhere, which means I am really bad at, at identifying next man up closers in the Bronx, I guess. I mean, Holmes is filthy when you watch him. He is unbelievable. They just have so many good relievers. They, they, it could have been King, you know, like it could have been. I mean, it could have been, but they Holmes is a clear short reliever. King yeah. is more of a flexible reliever. So I, they were, there were there were signs there. I think there were plenty of people that picked up on Holmes well before I realized what was happening. And I'm peeved at myself, for lack of a better word. That By the way, pitching plus is great for, for relievers, man. And that's, yeah, that's that's really what I try to do when I'm looking at situations. I guess I didn't, here, here's what I did wrong. Here's the, the lesson. I didn't spend enough time looking at the other Yankees relievers ahead of time to see who's the model like, skills-wise, who do I think it's going to be. I just brushed it off as a, it's Chapman. And that's if it's right, not that's Chapman, then someone else will come say. back. That, I just thought it was just Chapman, you know? And so I got a little lazy. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But I think, and, and I'd hate to be, to continue that laziness by now saying it's still Chapman when he comes back. But, and, and I know that anybody in New York who's been watching probably... I would say you might be too close to the situation because, you know, yes, Chapman has burned the Yankees a couple times. But there have been plenty of times in the past, you have to think back to other times in the past when Chapman has burned the Yankees and has looked lost and came back and got the job back. Mm -hmm. You know? So uh, what I'm saying, though, is Holmes is going to have such great ratios and will still get some save opportunities that I actually think he might be an interesting buy high. Lopez uh, Bautista is uh, the closer of the future with the capital C. Um, I think the question just for them is, uh, what do we get back? With Bednar, I think it's a little bit more complicated because I sense a little bit, and this is now, now I'm getting past the numbers a little bit and getting into my wishy-washy, you know, psychology of baseball thing. But I, sometimes it's, it's meaningful. I sense that some momentum with the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, and I don't mean momentum like they're going to win more games. I don't even care about that. I mean in terms of organizational momentum. Like they are getting O'Neill Cruz retweets on Twitter every five seconds, you know? And now with O'Neill Cruz, Cabrian Hayes, and, uh, and, and Brian um, Reynolds out there, they have three players that are good and in their peak prime years. I did some research and found that three to four peak uh, uh, position players is enough. That's a core. If you think back to even the the Cubs when they won, if you really thought about peak prime year core players, there were four at any time. You know what I mean? So four is enough. And so I think if you're in Pittsburgh, you're like, uh, are we really going to take a guy, Bednar, that we have under control for a while that's out here, you know, throwing two and three inning saves and, and just looking nasty. And, and he has multiple pitches, so he's not even just a guy who's going to go away when the basketball velo goes away. Are we really going to trade that away for some long shot thing? So I actually think Bednar stays. Jorge Lopez, of the three, is the most likely 
to be traded out of the save situation, I think. If Bednar were to get moved, too, there are teams that could just throw him in as their closer. Right. And I don't think, and I, don't, I think Jorge Lopez is a little bit more like, oh, the Blue Jays acquired Jorge Lopez to set up Romano. Right. He's their seventh inning guy, their eighth inning guy. Yeah. All right. So I can follow on that. I just think there could be a window right now where someone has Bednar in your league and is more willing to trade him because of the, because the, the fear that he gets deadline. traded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if they all three, I mean, there's no world where all three of them cost the same, but if they all three cost the same, yeah, I'm taking, taking Bednar. Yeah, no, I think it's that sort of like high price is is Holmes and you're buying in if you think he's just the guy. I think Bednar is more of that second tier that has the up arrow and you're buying in if you don't think he's getting traded. And then if Lopez. Bednar costs less than Holmes, I'm taking Bednar. Hmm, I wonder. I haven't, haven't seen Bednar. a lot of trades involving those players. No. Yeah. All right. Oh, the other bullpen situation that I think is one we should talk about for a minute. What's going to happen with the Dodgers? We're having some more Craig Kimbrell wobbles. Yeah, no, but he was still top ten in pitching plus when I looked at it. I think he's. I think he's going to keep the job, dude. I think he's safe. Okay. What if he gets hurt? Because that's what happened with Chapman, right? Mm-hmm. So what if he breaks? Who do the Dodgers turn to? Then who who stands out? I know Evan Phillips pops in the model because I picked him up at NL Labor a few weeks ago as my ninth pitcher. I yeah. didn't necessarily pick him up expecting him to be the clear cut. Well, Kimbrel's out. Now you're the guy. Do you see anyone that they would be more likely to turn to? Did they have a Clay Holmes of their own? I think it might be Hudson. Just um, more traditional uh, closer repertoire, velocity, uh, been there longer. I think it could be Hudson. Phillips, I think, though, is a is a, a sneaky good pickup, and the model loves him to death. And I know uh, people in other front offices that were mad that the Dodgers ended up with Evan Phillips. So, yeah, and yet another good reliever in uh, in Los Angeles as a result of their ability to find find those guys pretty much everywhere. Let's move on to a couple of new bats in San Francisco. Willie Calhoun gets his wish; he gets traded. He ends up in San Francisco. Given some of the comments he made about the philosophy that was being installed by Donnie Ecker, I don't know if going to San Francisco, where Donnie Ecker was, is going to be exactly what Willie Calhoun wants. But I think just getting out of the Rangers organization was kind of the the main thing that he wanted. And plus, as you've described on this show before, the Giants have multiple coaches who try and get through to players in a way that works for them. Even if they're on the same page in terms of what they want to instill as an organization, the way you hear it can be different depending on which coach you tend to to click with. So between Willie Calhoun and Yermin Mercedes, who they recently acquired from the White Sox, two guys who can hit a bit and don't really play good defense at any position, (laughs) but any hitters who fit that profile are interesting going to the Giants. It's just the way this team has been the last couple of years. So what do you make of Calhoun and Mercedes getting these fresh starts? It's interesting. You know, I think that the one of the the brilliance of the Giants is that they have both high ball hitters and low ball hitters, and they have this sort of, what's it called? Like lineup diversity of approach. Um, and I think that, that suits them really well. But in this case, they picked up two guys that do the same thing, which is they're not guys who are going to barrel the ball 10% of the time. If you have a guy who's going to barrel the ball 10% of the time, everybody wants him. You know, that everybody's on that page. What these guys are going to do is barrel the ball 6 to 7% of the time, but also make contact 14 to 16% of the time. 
you know, make more contact than people and have a decent uh, sense of balls and strikes. So, you know, it's not a guy who's going to slug 600, but they're hoping it's a guy who can slug 450 with like a 350 on base percentage, right? Now you just got a free 800 OPS. Yeah, where does he play? I don't know. I'll figure it out. You know, this isn't a team that's uh, that has great defenders. Everybody, you know, everywhere. This isn't a team uh, that you know. Yes, it would be improved by a superstar center fielder or or a young shortstop in his prime. Yes, but in in case we can't get those things, we're gonna get these bit pieces and make them fit. So the the only thing that uh, you know, I do think it's a bit of a flex to to go get. Uh, you know, Willie Calhoun saying Donnie Ecker doesn't work for me and, uh, and, and put him in, a, in the house that Donnie Ecker built. Um, but uh, Justin Vealy is the other guy there. They have multiple voices there and maybe they're just saying, hey, we're not going to try and change you as much. We're going to let you, let you do what you do best, which is make contact, uh, hit a bunch of doubles, uh, the occasional homer. Um, you know, Steamer still says that if you gave uh, Willie Calhoun a full season in, in San Francisco he'd hit 21 well I know this is probably not adjusted for San Francisco yet but he'd hit 20 homers with a 250 average 320 OBP 430 uh, slugging which in this run environment is actually pretty good it would be 10% above league average says Steamer so uh, in terms of the depth chart, though, I, one thing with Yermin Mercedes is I, the this Giants team is desperate for catching. If you watch the 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 moves that they're making, you know they just traded for Austin Wins and they they traded for that guy Papierski. They traded for Papierski with Dubon. They traded for Wins from the Orioles. Um, yeah. and, uh, uh, and they demoted, uh, um, uh, Joey Bart. So they, they are looking for a solution at catching. They have Kirk Casale. They're, they're definitely trying to improve the catching depth. They're, 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 this is a, a point of concern for them. Could Mercedes be like the backup catcher, like the offensive minded backup catcher? I, I don't think it's impossible. Um, it's going to get crowded at DH otherwise. Uh, the other thing that I wonder is, is a Darren Ruff um, move imminent? Darren Ruff is still 8% better than league average, but the slugging has not been there for him this year. Hmm. What's the next move? I know Lamont Wade Jr. is about to come up. So let's build a roster real quick. I know it's, it's minutiae, but it's important because it means... What what is Willie Calhoun's chance? So you you gotta have Longoria, Crawford, uh, Estrada, Belt. So that's that's four. How, how many? Um, you can have fourteen. No, thirteen hitters. Thirteen. Now? Yep. Thirteen hitters now. So we got four uh, starting infielders. Flores is five. Lastella is six. Two catchers is eight. Yastrzemski is nine. Jock Peterson is ten. Uh, that's ten. Okay. Slater is 11. You can call that Slater or Luis Gonzalez. That's 11. So you got uh, two places left. Lamont Wade Jr. is 12. And Ruff is 13. So who's who's losing their job? Or is the, or were these just depth moves? Mm, I think you, you didn't mention Donovan Walton. So he'd have to go down. He's going down, yeah. I mean, if everybody's healthy, I think so. 
You had Listella in that group at the beginning, right? Yeah. So he stays. So your 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 three in in Sacramento are, that are most interesting are Walton, who I think is just a career sort of utility guy backup. I don't think you want to play him that much. Uh, Calhoun, who people are a little bit excited about, and uh, and Yermin Mercedes. So maybe Mercedes is a catcher in this situation. I think maybe he is. Maybe just catching depth, you know. Uh, but Calhoun, people are, you know, people are excited about, and he has a good projection. Who's he knocking out? Rough Slater could be Slater. Yeah, it still looks like a partial share of playing time as the roster is currently built. I I keep looking at this team and thinking like, of all the things they they have kind of lined up in the long run. If Joey Bart is not the answer as far as the long term catcher. I think they need to think about making a trade for one. And if you need that now, look across the bay. Sean yeah, Murphy sitting right Sean there. Murphy. I mean, there's there's a guy that could solve your problem for the next several years. At the very least, you're getting a d- good defender with Thump. Maybe you get even more from him offensively. They could probably make a few adjustments with him and help him unlock what I think is the, the offensive profile of a top 10 catcher. I think that's reasonable for Sean Murphy. So that'd be a good move for them to consider making. And they probably have some combination of players they could put together to actually make that deal with the A's. I think they, I'm becoming pessimistic about this team. And I, and I know that we've talked about them a lot and we, we can stop talking about them soon, but I would just say that they are not young or good defensively at any premium defensive position. The closest you get is Tyro Estrada at second. They need three. And they the just core. traded away Duggar. So I actually don't think Slater loses out to Calhoun because you need Slater as the backup center fielder. Your two best center fielders are your Stremski and Slater, and they're both, neither of them are great center fielders. So I don't think Calhoun's making this team anytime soon. It could just take an injury to open the door, and maybe they want a couple of weeks in AAA with him to make a few adjustments before they, they give him that opportunity. But none, none of these are, yeah, but, but my grander point also is that none of these are long-term fixes. They're doing the best they can to like have a winning team while their guys are old, but they really, really need guys like Marco Luciano, Luis Matos. They need those guys, and they need them soon because it's getting real kind of haggard up the middle here. Let's count it as prospect of the week. I mean, I think Luis Matos, he deserves attention, not because he's playing well, but how concerned are you by what you've seen at high A this year? He's hitting 190 with a 262 OBP and a 246 slug. It's only 33 games. I know he's young for the level, but this is a guy that is a really important part of their future. Their, Their system is still, as a whole, one that I think you have more questions about than than clear-cut answers. Luciano should be an eventual star. He'd be the kind of player that eventually fits in as one of the, the three core players for a team you know, going into a five- or six-year window. Kyle Harrison looks about as good as any pitching prospect can really look, so maybe they've got an answer coming there. You know, I think with Ramos and Averson, Arteaga, there's a couple names there that could pop, but I don't think Ramos is going to make the leap to it seems like maybe more than like a like yeah. a big platoon guy kind of player. Like I, I don't even I don't kind know. of using him that way, you know. I'm surprised he's been a little up and down. He'd be a small too. side platoon guy if he ends up in a platoon, which would be really bad. But I just think he's more of a a 500 plate appearance sort of player than an everyday guy based on what we're seeing in the the upper levels of the of the minor leagues. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about uh, 
about Ramos anymore. Not not super excited about him. Artiaga, I have seen him personally uh, with my own eyes, and he was definitely the best player on the field. But that's also a ball, and I think Luis Matos is showing you how difficult it is to go even from low A to high A, because uh, that's the jump he's making. Um, and then he's got to make another jump to double A. So uh, the one I, thing I do like is he's still kept his strikeout rate under twenty percent. Um, the one thing that's weird is that he's pulling the ball 63% of the time, uh, and not in the air. So everything, uh, something is, uh, is awry there with either the approach or, uh, the mechanics. Um, but yeah, Arteaga, Luciano, those are some, some good names. They, they have, uh, and Harrison is, is great. Uh, I did want to point out, I am concerned with Matos, um, especially since, like I said, it's that jump. Uh, but uh, some love to a former uh, prospect of the week, Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, it's looking uh, real good. Just got uh, some pop on Baseball Prospectus as possibly the best prospect in the minor leagues now. So Ooh. I'm super happy that uh, once I made him prospect of the week, I went out and uh, got as many shares of him as were still available to me. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean he's doing everything right. So. We uh, will have to do more research and get you guys a real prospect of the week coming up soon instead of uh, this sort of half-assed Matos Hunt Henderson action. I, I, I just think it was worth bringing up the giant system, yeah, we gotta though. Che- yeah, we got to check back in with those guys. and yeah, Because I have Matos in a long-term league, and I'm, I am worried, and I'm willing to trade him as someone that's trying to make a run in that league this year, and I, I don't think I'm going to have... Uh, a lot of regrets. If if he does turn around, good for him. I hope he does. I just I think it could take a little longer than I was hoping. I thought he might be someone that cruised through in relatively short order for an international signing and would be an impact guy right away. It's just going to be a longer road than we had hoped. I will, I will trade you somebody in A-ball so hard. <laughs> I will give you this A-ball hitter with a 400 average. I will I will give him to you. Here you go. Give me something good. Well, I think I'd be, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, you can usually feel good about trading players at the yeah. A-ball level in long-term leagues for the most part. Here's something we have to do, given the circumstances. We have to talk about Spencer Strider, because there's a question from Ryan. And Ryan wants to know, what's the difference between Spencer Strider's command and stuff as a starter compared to what he was doing earlier in this season as a reliever? Is there a chance that Spencer Strider is a top 15 to 20 range starting pitcher moving forward? There is. You wouldn't rank him as such because of the risk, but I do think there is. And uh, one thing that's been amazing is that uh, his his stuff plus has come down uh, as a a starter. As a reliever, he was throwing 150s and 160s out there and just being basically had the best stuff in the in, in the major leagues. Um, as a as a starter, uh, once he's crossed the 80 uh, pitch threshold, that's gone down significantly uh, to basically 110 to uh, 130. Uh, he does have one starting appearance, the one where he threw 106 pitches. He had a 140 stuff plus, so he, he still looks great when it comes to that. But what's really been great is. You know, after his first three appearances, he had a really low stuff plus number. He had two 80s in a row um, in, in location plus, sorry. Um, and so you thought, oh, this is a traditional reliever type. He can't command the ball. Um, you know, this is Matt Brash. 
right? I mean, there was a lot of similarities, but that was 150 pitches in. Location Plus comes online last of the three models. And it really does take about 300 pitches. So 150 pitches in, he had like a 90 90 Location Plus and you thought he was a reliever. Here are his next three Location Pluses in order. 105, 117, 112. Since then, he's had two starts under 100. So I think the location stuff was, uh, I think he does, he had, you know, his last start was 90 location plus, uh, three starts, four starts ago, he had 85. He does, you know, he's not like uh, Aaron Nola, you know, he's not like a command artiste. But um, my long-term concerns about him having only reliever command are out the window. And so he's been regularly throwing up 115s uh, pitching pluses as a starter. That's really, really good. So I, I'm, I'm all in. And this might be a great time to go get him because he's just coming off of, off of a bad start, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he fits into the buy-high conversation too. That's why I thought it was a really good question well, to put on it, this particular rundown. Yeah, and he's kind of an interesting guy because he buy-high and also uh, just gave up six runs. Like One of those moments where like, the cost might not be that bad. Maybe someone uh, thinks, "Oh man, he, he isn't. He's a, just a reliever. Go get him now." Yeah. A bit of a, a temporary break. I, mean, I know Dylan Cease's arsenal when he came into the league was just a little bit deeper than Strider's is right now. But just in terms of strikeout expectations, getting by with a slightly elevated walk rate, I kind of think that's what I think Strider will be. Freddie Peralta had this too. Tons of Ks, walk problems, Mm -hmm. some inconsistency with command, but he got through it to the point where, I mean, look where Freddie Peralta was going in drafts this draft season. Kind of at the 3-4 turn of 15-team leagues. Cease, a big riser these last couple of seasons. I think Strider could be more like those guys as far as how he's valued and, and the types of roto value he brings back in these next couple seasons. Yeah, and the changeup uh, is really, really inconsistent, and you know goes from negative to positive stuff plus, and but it flashes okay. So you know, I I do think there's a possibility he has at least a show me changeup. Um, and I guess you know you know that he's got some of that Drew Rasmussen um, upside limitations in terms of how long how long will they let a fastball slider guy who was a reliever this season, go into deep into games. How many wins will he get? Probably not a good quality start guy. Uh, but in most leagues, I want Spencer Strider. Does he fall in the group ahead of Nestor Cortez and Tony Gonsolin? Or is he part of that cluster value-wise, even though his ceiling is considerably higher? I had him uh, behind those guys, but close. I had him right there. I've, I've, I've wanted to be aggressive. Um, and so I put him in the 30s. Um, I might push him ahead of, uh, well, ahead of Lance Land, but ahead of Jose Barrios? Or maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Do you want to take uh, the Barrios question too? Yeah. What it, 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 I can I paraphrase? Is it just what is wrong with Jose? Basically, Barrios? it's a <laughs> yeah. I, I'm we got the question from Pete. He's baffled by the ever worsening Statcast profile in the face of pitching plus. Uh, still kind of saying no. Like you should you should believe in Jose Barrios. So 
what should we do with him? I've seen some evidence that he's throwing the four scene too much. Um, and uh, the trends on his stuff plus are not good. Uh, in his last start, he had a 78 stuff plus. It's awful. Gross. Uh, but the start before that was 117. So I think he's uh, toggling his pitch mix because he, he is a fastball, a four scene fastball, sinker, curveball guy with a changeup he can't command that well. Um, so he, in a, in effect, in effect, you could call him a two pitch pitcher, fastball, a fastball breaking ball. Um, I think what happens is, uh, they have a game plan that maybe they don't adjust fast enough. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Like they're like, oh yeah, you got to do this with the four seam. And then some days the four seam is not there. That would be my guess. I do have uh player per pitch. So let me. I'm going to test my assertion now. I'm going to go look at Jose Barrios' forcing fastball by start. Oh, yeah. There are some games when he has a 79 stuff plus on the forcing fastball, and there are games when he has a 116. And sometimes they come right after each other. So I just, I don't know. I think the forcing goes in and out. I said that was true for Manoa, but this it's much more true for Barrios. At what point then would you look at a, a gap from game to game and say, yeah, players are waves. They're not perfectly the same every time out. But I would wonder, is he tipping? How could you be that different with that pitch? That doesn't that doesn't add up. Yeah. Let me see if his uh, release point is dropping. Sometimes uh, if you're hurting in a small way, your release point adjusts. And if your release point adjusts. And he's really had a durability since uh, coming to the big leagues too. Yeah, but sometimes, I mean, there's durability like being out there and then there's durability like actually feeling good. Um, I think there must be, there it is. The Sorry, there was an bad compared situation. to last year. Um, I'm just looking at his... Vertical release point. It's dropping a little. It's dropping from where it used to be. Let me see about game by game. Hmm. It's all right. I I don't really have a great answer except that I think that his his four seam is is not naturally great. He hits. Yeah, there's been some. There's been a two inch difference uh, in his four seam release point over the course of the season. So uh, I think it might be, you know, to get the right four seam, he needs to really be on top of the ball. In some games, he can kind of reach up there and do it. In some games, for whatever reason, he can't. Is that is that a satisfying answer? Probably not. I mean, it doesn't. Does that give us a, a way to to act with him going forward? I, yeah. Am I, am I right to assume you wouldn't be actively trading for him right now? It wouldn't take much to get him relative to draft day, anyway. Yeah, I mean, his projections are pretty mediocre right now because of his strikeout minus walk rate. We're 75 innings for him, and he has an average strikeout minus walk rate. And as I said, uh, about you know about 60 innings into the season, uh, you know, strikeout minus walk rate becomes more powerful than the pitching plus model. So um, I would be believing projections now. If you think that uh, you know four ERA uh, with an 8K9 is useful for you. Uh, and you could get him very cheap, then I would do it. And also, I think if you were buying for next season, I think that he might be an interesting dynasty acquisition. Yeah, he's old enough where it's not going to 
it wouldn't cost you too much. You just you're just betting for uh, you'd just be betting for a, a rebound to where he was, you know, any of the previous seasons, you know, still young enough to do it. Hasn't lost much velocity. So I could I could probably talk myself into that. I think the other question that could come up is in 10 and 12 team leagues. He's probably going to get dropped in some of those formats at some point if this continues. Are you kicking the can and taking a chance on him making some adjustments in season? And that probably comes back to how valuable is a four ERA in your particular league? What is your pitching situation looking like? I think the the team context is good in terms of win and, and K potential, at least. And if he could just make a couple small changes. Uh, yeah, let's let's uh, but also just look at him. Let's pretend uh, he's a matchups guy. Let's go backwards and 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 see what we do at Chicago White Sox. If he was just a matchups guy, I wouldn't I wouldn't throw him there, right? You miss uh, with the injuries the White Sox have been dealing with. I've been it's more a, willing to chance it with them. All right, but let's 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 say you're like a streamer, okay? Let's say he's streamer level in a ten team yeah, thing. We could do this going forward. To get they get the Brewers this weekend if he's pitching in that series. Home would you throw him on the road, on the road? at at, uh, at American Family Field. No, I think no. Because that's a that's like at Chicago, What's home against that? the Red Sox. Probably a no. Yeah, I guess that's a no. What's after that? Home against the Rays. Yes. At Oakland. Yes. And these are consecutive series, so you wouldn't necessarily get all of them because they're three game right. series. At Seattle. Yes. Home against the Phillies. Mm. That feels like a no to me. Yeah. Home against the Royals would be in. Yeah. Uh, at the Red Sox after the All-Star break would, at this point, be a no. Out, yeah. Home against the Cardinals if he caught them. That uh, offense yes. is flying high, so you need to take a chance there. Yes. Home against the Tigers would be an in. And then at the Rays again, probably still an in. That's after the trade deadline. Things could be pretty different then. So he's kind of a 50-50 starter. 50-50. Some pretty good matchups in August. They catch the Orioles a couple times that month. They've got an Angels team that who knows what kind of shape they're going to be in Cubs. So if you have any sort of be bench, I think he'd be, and, and he did get dropped or you could get him for super cheap. I think it might be interesting to have him as one of those stars you have on your bench that you, you start, you know, once every other start. Wow. I've got guys the Orioles like, a lot. like I have Tyler Malley still on my dynasty 12 team bench. You know, for some people he's droppable for me. He's a guy I start away from home. Yeah. And occasionally at home, but yeah, I, Plenty of strikeouts, as we discussed on the 3-0 show. Yeah. He's been a machine in that category as well. Over 200 in the past calendar year. See, leaderboards are fun, especially <laughs> when presented <laughs> as a game show. Uh, we have to go. If you got questions for a future episode, you can email us, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. If you don't have a subscription, get one for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. On Twitter, Eno is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. And thankfully construction seems to be done on the side of my building so i think we're back to a normal schedule we should be back with you on monday thanks for listening As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.